0: Welcome to La Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to Hospitality and Your Neighbor by Rev. Peter Yonker. We come this morning to our second-to-last Sermon in the Hospitality Series. Today we will be thinking about hospitality and our neighbor. Next week we'll be thinking about hospitality and boundaries, the boundaries of hospitality. But today it's the neighbor, and for that we're going to turn to one of Jesus' parables in Luke 16, We'll read verses 19 through 31. That's found on page 1627 in your pew Bible. It doesn't say right in the bulletin. 1627. This is the words of Jesus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Uh, just a note on that. Purple and fine linen. Anyone who lived in those days would have known like this is the highest form of clothing. Okay? So this is Jesus' equivalent of saying he dressed in Gucci and Armani every single day at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, and what is he dressed in, covered in sores. And longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died. and The angels carried him to Abram's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment Now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abram replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. And Abram said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. So today we're thinking about hospitality in our neighbor and Jesus' call to us to love your neighbor as yourself. And when you think of that call to love your neighbor as yourself, the, the parable that you associate with that call is not usually this parable. Usually the first parable that comes to mind when you think of love your neighbor as yourself is the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? That's the first one that comes to mind. And that's fine. Great parable. We all love the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm sure most of us here know it. Um, but the The parable on its own, the parable of the Good Samaritan is a dangerous parable. On its own, if you just read the parable of the Good Samaritan and think of your neighbor, you run the risk of falling into the Good Samaritan trap. The Good Samaritan trap. What is the Good Samaritan trap? Well, let me remind you of some of the facts of the parable. Jesus is teaching a crowd, and he tells them that they must love their neighbors as themselves. And in the crowd, there is a lawyer, a teacher of the law, who asks a question for clarification. He's looking for a legal ruling. He's looking for a legal loophole. He wants to limit his liability. And so he says, Excuse me, teacher, who exactly is my neighbor? And what he's hoping, of course, is that Jesus will define neighbor very small so that he won't have to use up a lot of his time and his resources on his neighbors. But you know that Jesus goes exactly in the opposite direction. Instead of defining neighbor small, he blows it wide open. He tells this story of a Samaritan, who is about as far from friend and family to this teacher of the law as you can imagine. And the Samaritan gives extravagant care under dangerous circumstances to a complete stranger. And that's Jesus' way of saying, you know who your neighbor is? It is everyone. All of the people are your neighbors. All of the warm-blooded human beings, those are the ones you are called to love. We ministers love that passage, and we preach on that passage, and we say the same thing to you. Everyone is your neighbor. You're called to love all the people, the strangers, your enemies, all of the people with the extravagant, sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Okay, so far, so good but here's where the trap comes. And let me be clear, Jesus is not responsible for the trap. This is not Jesus' fault. This is the fault of human beings like me and you who love to twist Jesus' words. Here's the trap. When we say that everyone in general is our neighbor, the danger is that no one in particular will be our neighbor. Sometimes when everyone is your neighbor, no one is. Sometimes when everyone is your neighbor, no one is. What is this like? This is like some of the field days in my elementary school when I was a kid. We would all compete, but we would never get prizes for first, second, and third. Instead, at the end of the day, everyone would get a little blue ribbon that said winner on it. And every single kid knew that when everyone is a winner, no one is. The danger of the Good Samaritan read the wrong way is that when everyone's your neighbor, no one is. So your heart swells with a love for humanity after you hear that parable. You get a lump in your throat. Jesus loves all the little children of the world. Isn't it wonderful? But that great, big, generalized love never narrows down onto the person right in front of you. That is the Good Samaritan trap. And that's why our parable, the one we did read this morning, is such a good companion to the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's why Jesus told us both these parables, because these parables complement each other. They're really good partners. Let me show you why. And let me start by asking you this question. What is the rich man's sin in this parable? What gets the rich man into trouble? Does he actively hate poor people? Is he against beggars? Does he actively refuse to help Lazarus at any point? No. The rich man's problem is not that he actively refuses to help Lazarus. The rich man's problem is he doesn't even see Lazarus. He doesn't even notice him. Of course, he sees him in the optical sense. The sensory data of Lazarus's presence came through his optical nerve and was sent to his brain. He registered the fact that Lazarus was there. The way that he didn't see Lazarus is that Lazarus was never an object of his moral concern. When he was in the synagogue as a boy, and he heard the law and the prophets preached, Jesus is talking about the law and the prophets, mentions them twice in this parable. He's pointing us towards the law and the prophets. When that rich man was in the synagogue as a boy, and he heard the law and the prophets read, he never realized that the law and the prophets were talking about exactly this person, Lazarus, sitting at his gate. So when Deuteronomy 15 said, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. When he heard that, he never thought of Lazarus. And when the prophet Isaiah thundered in chapter 58, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To share your food with the hungry. To provide the poor wanderer with shelter. For some reason, the rich man only thought of poor wanderers in general. He never thought of that poor wanderer that the Lord had placed at his gate. I don't know, but I imagine the rich man wrote checks to his favorite charity. And on Stewardship Sunday dumped his offering into the temple offering plate, where it made a great clash, and he figured that that dispatched his obligations to the poor. Are you starting to see how these two parables need each other? parable of the Good Samaritan opens our concern as wide as it can get. We care about all people, regardless of creed or color or where they are in relation to us. But the parable of the of Lazarus and the rich man zooms in on that particular person that God has laid at your door. The person whom God has laid at your door. The tense of that verb is really important. Look at verse 20. How did Lazarus get to the rich man's gate? Did he walk there and plunk himself down? No. The verb tense is passive. He was laid at the rich man's gate. Somebody put him there. Who do you think put Lazarus at the rich man's gate? God put Lazarus at the rich man's gate. This stranger, this poor man, was the person whom God put in front of the rich man as his object of concern. Our neighbor is the person whom God has laid at your gate. The person who God puts in front of you right now. Jay and Dave, the authors of that book that we've gently been trying to push on you, The Art of Neighboring, have a really good exercise in, their, uh, in that book designed to get you to think about your particular neighbor, the person right in front of you. Um, what they do is they have you draw up a three-by-three three grid, three-by-three three grid of boxes, like a tic-tac-toe board, okay? And that's supposed to be your neighborhood, Now, they think of this in terms of a suburban neighborhood, right? So you're living in a house, and there's people behind you, and there's people in front of you, and there's people on either side. But you could adapt this to your apartment complex or to your condo complex or whatever. So you have a three-by-three grid. You put your name in the middle. And then they say, okay, how many of the eight other people around you can you write the names, first name of the people who live in front and back and beside of you? And if you are able to do that, and they say only one in ten people can fill in all the names of the people who live around them. Only one in ten. And if you can get the first names, can you get the last names? And if you can get the last names, can you say anything else meaningful about these people? Like where they work or where their kids go to school? And then finally, and most importantly, can you say anything about where they are emotionally and spiritually? Do you know if they're people of faith? Do you know what they worry about? Do you know what they care about? Do you know what they love? Almost no one, they claim according to statistics, can do that for all their neighbors. I did this exercise and to my great shame, I tell you that three of the boxes in my neighborhood are completely blank. I don't know even the names of three of the eight people. And I've lived in my neighborhood for 12 years. Now this is bad. It's bad because, just from a social civic sense, the neighborhood is the basic unit of social cohesion. If you want to make the world a better place, the absolute best place to start is in your neighborhood with the people right around you, your neighbors. It's way better than yelling at your TV during the newscast. And more to the point to this parable, it's bad because these are the people that God has laid in my path. These are the people I'm called to love. And if I don't even know their names, how can I love them? It strikes me that that exercise that you could do in your neighborhood could also be done in some of the other neighborhoods in your life. For instance, it could be done in this neighborhood. This is a kind of neighborhood. You all are good Christian Reformed people, which means that you sit pretty much in the same place, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Bless you for that. Some of you move, but most of you stay. And that also means that the people around you are pretty stable, right? There's a kind of a neighborhood around you. Do you know the names of the people in your neighborhood? Do you know what's going on in their life? God may have laid at the end of your pew, maybe not a person covered with sores, but maybe a caregiver who is absolutely exhausted by her work of giving care week after week after week. And she would love, maybe not every week, but once in a while, for someone to say her name and ask her how she's doing. These are the people that God has laid at your gate. One more neighborhood. We can also think about our neighbors out there. God has laid La Grave in the city under the cross. And, and we've chosen to stay here, right? We're proud of that. We're proud that we chose to stay in the city in 1959, 1960. Who are these neighbors that God has laid at our gate? I come to church pretty early on Sunday mornings, mostly out of nervousness. And I get here like around 7 o'clock. Last Sunday when I got here at 7, there were a lot of neighbors laid at our gate. There were about five people camping out, sleeping on the Seventh-day Adventist porch. And then the doorway that's a little closer, there were four or five guys crowded around there talking. And then at the 107 exit, which is right over there, it's on the other side of the women's bathroom, that exit, on the landing there, as I walked out that door, there was a woman who was sleeping. She had her cart there. It was cardboard spread out, pillow, several blankets, food stuff sort of some toiletry stuff, all her earthly possessions fit on that landing. What do you think I said to her? I said, good morning. We're about to have a church service, so you probably should be moving along pretty soon. And then I spent the whole week looking at this Bible text and feeling deeply uncomfortable. It's hard though, right? How do you help these people? It is not simple. And we know that we can't help them all. There is no way, no matter how hard we try, we can solve all those problems. But what do we do? A week and a half ago, Bob Grusing and I spent 10 minutes talking to a man who'd come to our door and was looking for a bus ticket. And he was getting combative. And he said that he wanted to go to Kalamazoo because his girlfriend's mother had died and he wanted to go to the funeral. And we don't give out bus tickets. So we we're trying to explain it to him, and he was mad at us. And so we asked him, Well, tell us where the funeral is, who is it, so we can look it up and verify it. And he wouldn't do that. So we got suspicious. And we didn't give him anything. And we sent him packing, and he was mad at us, and we felt bad. Now I'm quite sure that we were right not to give him money. But I also feel like, Is this it? Is this what, we're, what I'm going to do? Chase people off the porch? And deny them bus tickets, I had a strong feeling that I could do better with the people God has laid at my gate. And a feeling that even though we can't do everything, that we could do better with the people God has laid at our gate. The weight of this parable is compounded by one more detail in the text that I want you to see. Again, let me ask you a couple questions. What is the name of the poor man in this parable? Lazarus. What is the name of the rich man in this parable? He doesn't have a name. That's not an accident. It shows the inversion of the kingdom of God, right? In this world, everyone would know the name of the rich man and no one knowed the name of the beggar. In God's kingdom, those things get inverted. It's yet another way God challenges us to see our neighbor differently. Now, I know that at this point you're probably feeling a lot of weight. I know that I am, and I know this sermon is sort of pushing things on you. That's the kind of text it is. I'm sorry about that. I'm genuinely sorry, because I know that a lot of you come here with heavy burdens. You come here and there's things going on in your family And there's things going on in your heart and there's things going on in your life and you feel absolutely worn out. You've got nothing left to give and you hope that you come here and you get fed and lifted up. And now here comes Pastor Yonker dumping responsibility on you. If that's what you feel, let me just say two more things before I close out this sermon. First, the Lord loves you and he sees how hard you're trying. And even though this is a call that I'm putting before you, of course it is. When we love our neighbor, when we create good neighborhoods, it comes back to us, right? We receive more than what we give in the long run. So you're creating a context where you can be lifted up too. So even if you're exhausted, if you could just do one small thing in one of these places where you bless another person, you will be doing something good. And finally this. Remember that the Jesus who calls you to care for the beggars at your gate is the same Jesus that took off his purple robes and his linen and came down to you, the beggar, at his gate. Jesus did not stay up in heaven at the right hand of God. He came down to us when we were beggars. We weren't covered with sores, but we have wounds. Wounds of our sin, wounds of our trouble, things that we've done, things that people have done to us, and all of those things together make us exhausted. And Jesus comes to us. He takes off his purple robe and he puts on a servant's cloak and he puts on a crown of thorns and he comes to where we're lying and he picks us up and he starts to carry us back to his father's house, up through the gates and towards his table. And when we get to that table, we will not just get the crumbs that fall from that table. We will get a feast. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that in this place you receive us and you welcome us and you surround us with your love every week, week after week after week. Today in this place we've heard your call to go out and love our neighbors. We've heard it loud and clear. We've heard it sharply. Lord, remind us again of how much you love us and how infinite your love is for us so that we may go out and do just one small thing in the world today for the people that you lay in front of us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.